0: I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This Jesus spoke to the Jews at the great Feast of the Tabernacles, or booths. The feast lasts a week, and it builds continuously to the final ceremonial pouring out of water on the altar. Jesus first used this most notable feature the feast to illustrate his giving of spiritual drink, the living water that would be so abundant it would flow from the inner being of all who believe, which, John told us, was the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who would believe. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives living water that will spring out of the heart of all who believe, and he provides light that gives life, spiritual light. On that last great day of the feast, another major component took place. The parade that went all the way through town into the very center of the temple was lit by thousands of lights. That night, the temple was ablaze with torches more than any other day of the year. There was even what we might call chandeliers suspended in the air throughout the temple complex with torches. It was really an amazing thing. It was light greater than they would see any other time of their lives. And Jesus says, no, I'm the true light. (laughs) you think this is great? It is nothing compared to what you will get when you follow me. Compared to that, the strip in Vegas is dead darkness. (laughs) Okay, they didn't have a Vegas, but you know. (laughs) But they thought of the temple, especially at this moment, that way. Now, if you've recently read the Gospel of John, you may be thinking, you know, scratching your head, this sounds familiar. And you would be correct. Let's go clear back to the beginning, the beginning of this good news, the prologue of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At the beginning of John's Gospel, we are given these great spiritual truths. Jesus is the Creator God. One, in essence, with the God the Father. Life is a part of that essence. And he brought that life into this world in human form. And this became a light to bring men life. And nothing in this world can stop it. Have you noticed you can't make light go away by adding darkness? <laughs> Unless you're painting. There's no such thing as adding darkness. You have to kill the light. And, and some at this festival were taking a serious stab at it, by the way. And after all, this is exactly what we would expect. Remember that other part at the prologue about light? The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. At the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is saying that He can supply spiritual insight that will lead to eternal life. And the Jews should have seen it. Jesus echoes Scripture they should have understood. As David wrote, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank-offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from failing, that I from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. But they would have none of it. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. <laughs> they didn't see it. They're spiritually blind. This then is the outworking of the truth with which John started his gospel. The true light was in the world. But even though He made them, they didn't recognize Him. They do have one thing going for them. They require adherence to the Scriptures. Okay, while they pretend to keep the law. Other people are supposed to actually keep it, (laughs) or at least their interpretation of it. But Jesus turns even that argument on its head. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. I am God. I know everything. You don't. (laughs) That's pretty abrupt. Has you ever been a trial where you were on the jury and listened to the witnesses? I don't know if any of you have. You get four witnesses. You'd think four different things happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not the case with God. He is sufficient witness in anything because he knows all things, past, present, and future. Everything. He knows everything. And not kind of, absolutely, accurately knows. So, he will always give a right witness, a true witness. People, you and me, are both finite, that is, limited in what we and know and see, and fallen, prone to error. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Falling short of the glory of God. This is why the law had to require multiple witnesses for important things, right? But the law doesn't apply to a perfect man who is the, yes, limited in, in his human nature, but one infinitely close to the person of the Spirit on whom he leans absolutely. The person of the Son, a perfect human representation of God, for He is God. This whole God with us stuff—it kind of kind of makes you tingle clear down to your toes, you know—a <laughs> walking human being who's actually God. It's amazing. But these guys don't know God. They don't know about God or where He is. Shoot, they don't even really know where they come from, let alone Jesus. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus reminds them of something the Jews learned clear back when Samuel was trying to figure out which son of Jesse was going to be the new king. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And although they judge by the flesh, Jesus does not. And he is the only one who doesn't do that. He doesn't just live in light. He is light. And what's this whole thing about judging? Why did Jesus bring that up? Well, actually, it's exactly where the Pharisees would have expected Jesus to go the festival of tabernacles or booths, several of the time when Israel's wandering in the wilderness after they had been freed from Egypt. They lived in tents, sometimes called tabernacles, during this time. The lights for the festival were to remind people that God had appeared as a flame of fire at night to light their way and at one point to protect them from the Egyptians. But when they were not moving, the flame stayed above the temple the temple where all judgment was carried out. So they were celebrating God's leadership in motion from Egypt to the Promised Land, but also God's judgment, particularly of Egypt, but also of those who sinned in Israel. Now, of course, the Pharisees figured it was other people who needed judging, (laughs) not them, of course, and they were pretty sure they were God's representative to do the judging. And here's Jesus claiming to be that by which all things are to be judged. That's what he did when he claimed to be the light of the world. The standard by which all things are measured. But again, why did Jesus say he didn't judge anyone? Well, we need only to go back to John's commentary on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him... Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus doesn't have to judge. He just has to be when the perfect light comes on, everything not perfect is exposed. And everyone not Jesus is not perfect. Jesus doesn't need to judge anyone because they are already condemned, already judged. It is only by believing in Him that we become not condemned. Back to John 8. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Your law. (laughs) Jesus is stabbing at him. (laughs) Not just what we talked about before. The law itself could be a witness. The law corroborated Jesus' message. The very thing these Pharisees placed trust in, witnessed for Jesus and against them. At the last feast, when Jesus healed the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, they were complaining about him doing it on the Sabbath. Why would you do it on the Sabbath? Can not wait the other day? What's the problem with that? To show his authority in doing this miracle, Jesus called four witnesses. The Father, John the Baptist, his own works, and the Scripture. The truth is, he really only needed one, the Father. In fact, no other is really sufficient. So Jesus calls only his main witness here. But the Pharisees, they can't get it. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They cannot see spiritually. They keep thinking that this world is all that there is. The real Messiah would establish an Israeli government as the world power. That's what the real Messiah would do. They are judging by appearances. And they are very confused by Jesus' words. His use of the word Father in such a familiar way was unsettling. They don't want a relationship with God, they want a God who would do things for them. <laughs> and they figured they already knew God. I mean, they, they know who he is. So they were deeply offended that Jesus claimed they did not. This also John talked about clear back in his intro. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. To have a relationship with God as their true father. To know the father and the son back to the Feast of Tabernacles. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Have you ever seen the boxing movies? Rocky. The bell rings, okay? End of round one, take your seat in the corner. That's, that's where we are, right? End of round one. But even this, they should have been a clue to them. They wanted to arrest him, but could not. They even sent people to do so, maybe even on this same day. But they didn't. Why not? If those Jews had been paying attention, they would have wondered themselves. Jesus or John thought about it and it was pretty clear. So, now the bell rings. We're going to go to round two. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will He kill Himself since He says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Just a little while ago, they were wondering if He was going to preach you know, out there. <laughs> now they're, they're getting mean. They're getting mean. Then, as as now, a person who kills himself pretty much loses all credibility. They're trying to make Jesus look bad. say it another way, they were playing dirty. But Jesus does not join in. (laughs) He kept the fight clean. He sticks to the facts. You are creatures. I am the creator. You originated in this world. I am independent of this world. You are condemned already. You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am the only way. And did you notice how beautifully Jesus played off their mean-spirited comment? He would not kill himself, but he would give up his life for their sins. For ours. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In a strange sense, they were close to the truth. And Jesus tells them he will sacrifice his life to pay the penalty for their sins. As long as they believe he's the one who can do this. So how do they respond? So they said to him, who are you? (laughs) Good question. But they weren't asking for the right reason. (laughs) Amazingly they thought it was their prerogative to decide if Jesus was who he said he was. It's like people who say, "I can't believe in a God who allows bad things to happen. I can't believe in a God who would condemn people to hell. I can't believe in a God who'd let that happen to me." And I'm not trying to be rude here, but do they really think what they believe changes anything? <laughs> God is God. <laughs> We're mere creatures. We don't get to decide what He's like. Those Jews, they knew who Jesus claimed to be. Their goal was to get Jesus to make an exact statement so that they could judge Him. Because they thought it was their prerogative to decide if Jesus was who He said He was. And Jesus knew that quite clearly. So they said to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. you believe it? I could, Jesus is saying, spend some time telling you about you guys. (laughs) Your actions require some serious judging. And they really did. But I'm not going to talk about that. The Father is concerned with truth. In fact, He is truth. My message is too important to be distracted by arguments with mere men. My message is the message of God the Father. But, of course, they don't have spiritual eyes. They don't even know what He's talking about, let alone who He is talking about. They had all the education about God one could have at that time. But they weren't letting it renew their minds. They weren't appropriating it into their hearts, into the core of their being. And so, they didn't know the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Jesus plainly speaks in language they could not misunderstand of His death. He would, by their efforts, be crucified. And in that sacrifice, understanding would come. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus Humanity is personified by the divine. His will, then, and the Father's will are one and the same. The Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit are one. They are three persons with one nature. They have a closeness that we can never experience. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are so very close, what the Son does in His perfect human nature is absolutely pleasing to the Father. And, this is kind of hard, what pleases the Father is that the Son should die so that those who will believe will live forever. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life eternal life. In the blink of an eye at that time, we will forget all the sorrows of this poor life. In a breath, we will not remember that we ever could sin against God, our Savior. Before we finish opening our newly glorified eyes for the first time, we will feel joy flooding our souls, a joy that will never, ever leave us again. Ever. The first words we speak will be to glorify the One who made possible this glorious life, don't you think? <laughs> with our new minds, we will learn ever more of our Savior. And we will have much greater minds. And our new hearts will swell with praise to Him as they are filled with His presence in this glorious life. Unending new creation. Eternal life. When they saw Jesus on the cross, they understood who he was. But would they admit they were wrong? Would they believe that Jesus can and would save them? Would they commit their lives to him as their Lord and Savior? Some, back at the feast, saw the light. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Do you want eternal life? Are you ready to believe? The light is shining in the world. Our imperfection is clear. (laughs) Will we admit we need a Savior? Some of us here have said that there are people we love that don't believe. Probably all of us. Have we told them they must admit, believe, and commit? If not, can it really be that we believe we have eternal life? Is it possible we understand if we don't say something to them? Do do we see the light? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We'll not walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. If we really believe, if we believe there is an eternal life to gain, nothing in this life would distract us from preparing for it. I don't, I don't want to beat anybody over the head with this, least of all myself. So how about we let someone else do that? <laughs> John White, in his book, The Golden Cow, Materialism in the Twentieth Century Church. Low now, But he wrote this. It is want of faith that makes us opt for earthly rather than heavenly treasure. He's speaking to people in the church. If we really believed in celestial treasures, who among us would be so stupid as to buy gold? We just do not believe. Heaven is a dream, a religious fantasy, which we affirm because we are orthodox. If people believed in heaven... They would spend their time preparing for permanent residence there. But nobody does. Well, nobody? Two thousand years ago, many believed in Jesus. They forgot all about those amazing lights in the temple because the light stood in front of them and outshined them all. And they had not yet even seen Jesus lifted up. We have. Can we not believe so much that our lives are consumed by the thought of our eternal life with the light? An eternal life, living light. People today, all the world over, are worshiping God, devoid of spiritual vision. Or with the church badly in need of corrective lenses, shall we say? (laughs) But yes do we truly see do we live in the light do we live as light if we do we will live a life so clearly focused on the eternal that people will ask us why do you live the life you live i mean when did someone last ask you when why you live the life you do i'd like to say it was Sooner than it actually has been. (laughs) When did someone last see us living light? Father, that you sent your son at all is amazing. That you sent him for the express purpose of dying because we deserve to die. And you didn't want us to die. So your own son came and died in our place. And now, because He died, we can have life. And not just life here, but eternal life. Living in light. Living as light. Actually glowing. (laughs) Literally. With you. don't understand why you would do that. But I know you did. Father, I have not lived always like like I knew that. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to remember first. We get so distracted. Help us to remember there's so much beyond this life. In fact, this life is glorious as it can be and it can be wonderful. But it's nothing compared to the one you have for us. The joy, the glory, the outright fun we will have. It's just going to seem overwhelming to us then and we'll even be specially prepared for it. So compared to what we have now, Lord. But we get distracted and we forget. Help us to remember first and then to live like people who remember. Live like people who are already in the light. And one day will be perfectly in the light. Thank you Father. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.